Thank you, Paul and Mimi and Leslie. Good to be here today. How about you guys? Glad to be here? Yes. <laughs> Very good. Well, this week, uh, which uh, our songs have been leading in that way, there's a word that was kind of reverberating through my mind. Freedom. Freedom. And uh, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and uh, let's go to... Actually, I'm going to have a couple of different texts today. <clears throat> I'd like to turn with to John chapter 8 and also Galatians chapter 5. So find those. We'll turn to John chapter 8 first. John chapter 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 31. And then in Galatians, we're going to begin in chapter 5, verse 13. John chapter 8, beginning now at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. But the son therefore shall make you free, and you shall be free indeed. Then over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul's writing to the church in Galatia. And he says this in chapter 5 and verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in this one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we once again want to thank You for this day, a day that You've made and that we've been able to be a part of. Father, we want to lift up Your name on high. We thank You for the blessings that You provide us with. And Father, today, as we study your word, we would ask that you would allow us to be even a little bit more conformed to the image of your Son. That was your desire in saving us. And we thank you for the gift of salvation that came through Jesus Christ and literally the way for us to be free. Father, today I would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our sole and exclusive teacher, that we would be looking with a great deal of anticipation to you to learn more, to have our hearts opened and literally our minds to be enlightened by the word of God. Father, we thank you for each one that's come out today. We would ask that you would bless them and their families. And Father, those who may not have been able to be here today for various reasons, and we ask that you would hold them close to yourself and tight. Father, just protect them as well. Now, Father, we look with, again with anticipation to what you will show us. Guide us through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. July 4th is a day that... Uh, we commemorate the independence or the freedom of this nation. And it's a holiday that maybe we have lost a little bit of sight of. If you asked anyone, though, they would say, what is the significance of July 4th? And they would say, Independence Day. Um, There's a lot of other holidays we've gotten confused on. In November, there's a holiday in Thanksgiving. Whoops, I gave it away. Um, if, that's, if you watch a lot of people, it's Turkey Day or it's Football Day. 
And literally, it's a holiday we've lost the significance of because it is really a time of thanksgiving, which when we're on a very duress times, if you think of those pilgrims, of literally half of them had died within the first year. Think of it. And the next year, they took time to thank God. <laughs> I think that's truly amazing. And how God was so blessed, gave such tremendous blessings to those, the first comers, if you will, to this nation. But freedom, what do you think of when you when you hear the word freedom? Don't all speak at once. <laughs> Excuse me? Expression. Expression, okay. I'm thankful for it. You're thankful for it, okay. I would think if we all, if we were, if I was to have a show of hands, how many of you are thankful for freedom? Almost every hand would go up. Yeah, they would. They really would. And, and we should be, by the way, should be thankful for those men and women that are securing and keeping the freedoms that we have in this nation. It's one of the things I think worldwide when we say United States of America, there is a word that follows it almost unanimously, and that is freedom. We're the land of the free. What does freedom mean? What does it mean? The ability to do what God wants you to do. Now, that may not be a common definition of many people. Freedom is being able to do whatever I want to do, right? It's under the name of liberty, right? You guys are smiling. But it is quite amazing, actually, that that's probably the perception of most people in this country. Doing whatever I want to do. That's probably not a good definition of freedom. Freedom is uh, something that is very costly, isn't it? To gain freedoms of which we've enjoyed. Founding fathers signed that document declaring independence. And yet, if I was going to ask you, what is the opposite? Of freedom, what would you say? And there may be various answers, various words. But what's the opposite of freedom? Slavery. Slavery. Sounds right, doesn't it? What's another word for slavery? Servitude. Servitude. That's pretty good. Yeah, servitude. What else? Bondage. Another very good. I'm waiting for one that you haven't said yet, but that's okay. Because it's something that I think really, are you ready now? When we abuse freedom, we lose freedom. Right now, our country is entrenched in losing freedom. Another word that we could be using is such that the opposite of freedom is addiction. Our country is addicted to numerous things, literally driving us away from the thing that we love the most, and that is freedom. I'm thinking of addiction to all sorts of different things. We think of opioids. And it seems as such our laws in the country now have come to the fact we're trying to actually become more legitimate in opening the doorways to even having more rampant use of things that addict us more. And the more we become addicted, the more enslaved, the more in bondage. Those words that you guys used become part of who we are and literally take away and steal our freedom moment by moment. That's where we are. And it's interesting, the more that we take freedom for granted, the more it is easily abused and lost ultimately. 
That's where we stand 244 years after what we would have, and again, I, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, we're going to move on here, but at the same time, it's a fascinating to think, see how God literally allowed those colonists, those people that chose to believe in God at all cost, they didn't have a chance of beating the greatest nation in the world. Not a chance. But with God, and choosing that they wanted to have the freedom to worship God freely. That was a magnanimous decision. And God honored it. And now here we are today in a postmodern world of which we read in John chapter 8 that Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. In a postmodern world, in a postmodern world, which is not just the United States, but a world we find ourselves that truth is not knowable. That's a that's a precept of postmodernism. You can't know truth. If that's true, then there must be at least one truth. And we find ourselves in just a stagnation and a spiral downward when you can't accept truth. But I'm here today to say that not only can we believe truth, we have truth. The Word of God is ours to enjoy and to utilize and to literally follow. But we think about freedom also in a spiritual sense. I found it uh, interesting that, again, the promotion of self. We're, we're actually probably the greatest addiction in our country today is the addiction of self. Self-love. Everything is nothing or nothing is more important than self. And we find a disastrous turn of events and a trend that's taking place on all kinds of fronts. Today, the level of taking human life. We've moved to the point now of even infanticide of being acceptable. In fact, we're trying to make laws for it. And yet, in the, in the, the state of Maine, it is illegal to transport a pregnant lobster because of the loss of life. It's a $1,000 fine in Maine if you are caught transporting a pregnant lobster. Look it up if you'd like. I did because I didn't believe it. I was reading. I said, that can't possibly be true. And the crying shame of it all is, is human life has less value than that. We are losing our freedoms. We're losing our freedoms. But the Bible, thankfully, talks a lot about freedom as well. Sometimes it's easier for us to maybe see what freedom is by talking about what it isn't. Does that make any sense? <laughs> we're going to try that approach today. There's three things that we're going to look at of which Christian freedom is not. Uh, taking your Bibles, if you have them, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And verse 13, once again, is we'll read it. It says, for brethren, again, maybe we should stop for, the, for a moment. Um, the book of Galatians was written, it was the first book actually of the New Testament that was written by Paul, and it was written to a group of people, a church that had been founded, and they had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And lo and behold, following right in behind Paul were the Judaizers. And they had a task, they had a mission, because they said, well, certainly uh, to accept Jesus Christ, that's okay, but you still have to follow the law and as a Judaizer, you need to be able to, it's almost a sense of legalism. And legalism is that you're gaining salvation by trusting in the law. And that by the way of trusting the law, it's you doing enough of the law to be able to be saved. And so they were mixing grace and works. And Paul wrote in regards to that, and he was trying to make sure they understood, no, Jesus Christ is the only way, literally, to be saved. 
And in the latter part of this uh, sweet book of freedom, Galatians chapter 5, he starts in verse 1. This is a verse I hadn't read to you, but let's look at it. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, it says to stand fast or to stay firm, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Bondage. Now, now what does he mean by that? It says to stand fast or to be firm in the liberty, that is the freedom that Christ has made us free. But don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. One of the things that we sometimes can lose sight of, and it's, it's easily done in the fact that when we're free, and we've done it through, what's the word that we would use? How are you saved? You're saved by... Grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's not your faith that saves you. It's grace. And if we were going to take that acronym, G-R-A-C-E, it would be God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ paid for everything. That's grace. And we accept that grace through faith. And in Ephesians chapter 2, says, and that's not even of yourselves. It is the gift of God, even the faith of which you exercise. Remember that uh, Gentile that... Um, he was coming to wanted his daughter healed, and Jesus Christ, uh, he says, how did he say that? Um, I should go to it, but I'm, help me. Um, he paraphrased, and then anyway, he, he asked him about faith, and this guy responded by saying, Lord, help my lack of faith. Remember that? And sometimes I'm like that. In the middle of the night, have you ever woken up and, and wondered? See, I said worried, but I quickly caught myself and said wondered about stuff. But none of you have ever done that, so it's just me. I'm, I'm on the block right now. But, but there's a part of that when you wake up in the middle of the night, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to stew about that? Am I going to worry about that? One of the things I ask, Lord God, give me faith, enough faith for me to just accept the next step you show me. And you know what? It takes all of it. it, it there's a sense of relief. The more that I want to take on, the, lo, the less I want to trust God, the more... Difficult the journey becomes, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And now I've lost total track of where I was at. So I will just uh, stall for a moment. Uh, We're talking about the bondage. Yes, we were talking about those things. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, okay. I, th- I think I can get back to it. Because I, I, Romans chapter 6, 1, we'll, we'll be turning to that in a moment. Don't do it because you'll read it and then we'll, you'll, we'll lose the surprise I'm working on. At any rate, um, there's something, though, in the fact that when we have been saved, salvation is that we've been saved from the power of sin. Literally, Jesus Christ, he died for the sins of the world. He died for them. And when we accept that gift by faith then he is ours. That's a, that's a magnet. And there's just a sense of soaking in that, if you will, to just saturate yourself in the very essence of knowing that God himself, God the Son, died for me. He took my penalty. He took my sin, and he died for me. Oh, my goodness. And that's called grace. That's where I was at, right? under, under grace. So one of the things then is there's, a, there's a, almost the things, and the grace is saving you from sin. And there's a thought process. It's a, it's a, a term called antinomianism. And don't try to pronounce it either. Uh, but at any rate, it's against the law. In other words, if Jesus Christ saved us from sin, 
then we're no longer under the law. And we'll talk about that in a minute. What, there, that is actually a script. We are not under the law anymore. But the point of the matter is there's a, there's a belief that if we're not under the law, then the law means nothing to us and we could just do whatever we want to do because somewhere we're under grace and it's just covered. Now, Paul actually raised that question as well. He could see it coming. He was so good, so perceptive. That's kind of like sometimes parents are when a child comes with a question. They already know where they're going with that, and they're able to cut them off at the pass. Look at what Paul does. He cuts them off at the pass. Let's go to, to Galatia, I'm sorry, to Romans. Hold your place here. We read rack. Romans, and let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6. With that thought process, in other words, just do what you want to do. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he starts off this way. He says, what shall we say? In fact, look at verse uh, 21 of chapter 5, because he, he's, he's responding back to this. He says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Stop there for a moment. Now, that's literally what's happening. Prior to you getting saved, prior to you trusting Jesus Christ, sin was in power. You were enslaved to it. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 8 in the text we read, that he who commits sin is a slave or a servant to sin. And that's literally, before Jesus Christ, you are a slave to sin. It sounds so... You're just in bondage, right? That's exactly the picture. That's exactly the picture. I was thinking, too, in the sense of freedom... On this July 4th, it was estimated that $1.6 billion, $1.6 billion was used to buy alcohol beverages to be consumed on that day. $1.6 billion. That sounds like a bondage problem. (laughs) And there's more people killed on that day from drunk drivers than any other day of the year. Really? On the 4th. The Independence Day. Freedom Day. Freedom Day. I have no idea. So if grace got us out of sin, then let's just keep sinning. Chapter 6 of... Romans goes on to say then, after that verse we just read, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So the first thing we'll find that grace isn't is the fact that it's not the freedom to indulge in the flesh. Now, the flesh, let's describe that for a moment. What is that part of you, the flesh? That's actually right. It's the humanness. It's the part that isn't saved. It's the part that didn't get bought. It was the part that isn't redeemed. And I'm not sure why, why it worked that way, because I just as soon been all redeemed. I would have liked to have it all over with. But that, that temptation that comes, those bridges that Satan, there's really, we talked about it last year, there's three bridges that Satan will work on, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the bridges that he makes a beachhead, if you will, and a beachhead is that place where you can do battle from. It's a place that, from, almost from a comfort place. And we talked about uh, World War II, D-Day. Remember those, the Allied troops? I mean, they, they spent a lot of life and a lot of casualties to get that beachhead to get on the sea, to get, to get off the sea and on that place where they could do battle. That's literally what Satan is trying to do. And the flesh is where he does, to, what he wants to get is that sense of beachhead. And that is the part that is the easiest for him to get to entice. Now, with the, your inner part, the inner man, that part that gets saved, that is literally justified, that is redeemed, 
We still put that on. It is our temple. It is the part of, I shouldn't even say temple, but it's, it's our house. It's our tent. That's maybe a better, that's what Paul used. It's what we dwell in until we literally become glorified. And there's, a, there's coming a day when we will have a brand new tent, a brand new body that will be, in fact, sanctified. It will get it right. It will be perfect. I can't wait. Neither can I. <laughs> and all of us that are getting a little bit older, I'm not making any, just, you know, it's, you know, it's just getting a little older. I'm feeling aches and pains. I was pulling a few weeds around the place. Then, whoa, it didn't take as many to make me sore as I thought it would. <laughs> but there's going to come a day that we are literally going to have a perfect body. But in the meantime, here we are. Here we are. And Paul is saying very determinedly the fact that, no, we shouldn't continue in sin and we shouldn't indulge in the flesh. We are not free to give expression to our sinfulness. Flesh is that fallen humanness, that unredeemed human identity. It's the unredeemed, the unpurchased part of you, if it will. Now, it speaks of the fact that the inner you, if you will. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2 for a moment. I don't know where I've left you. I think in... in uh, are you guys getting... Is it getting warm in here? There's a lot of hot air up here anyway, so we'll see if we can't solve some of that. Our front row is burning up. There's just too much heat going on here. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2 for a moment. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. One of the things that... Uh, that is the picture of what we see. We know that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sin, but in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it tells us this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, after you've become saved, the new you, that's the one that loves the law of God, the one that loves purity, holiness, and seeks to do right. There is, see, and, and you know what I'm talking about. There's this battle that goes on in your life. There's, you, there's the part of you that's saved, and it wants, he, he or she wants to do exactly what's right. He, you, you look, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then there's the other part, right, the flesh. And we'll talk about that in Romans 7 in just a moment. From Paul's perspective, which would be, I want to hear it from Paul. He was like the super saint, right? He's the one that never did anything wrong after he got saved, right? He was a killer before, but I, I want to just get that in mind. What, what was he saying? That's right, and we're going to look at that. But the point of the matter is, is that new self, that new you, which is a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. Think of it. You're brand new created when you trust Christ as Savior. But guess what? You still have to live in the prison of your old flesh nature. Ah, bummer, right? But let's look at it from Paul's perspective. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 from what I would call the super saint, and I love his honesty. It's one of the things that I, I always have remarked, thought was remarkable about Paul. He just let it rip. He lets you know exactly where he's at. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to go to verse 14. Now, this is, he kind of responds from being a fellow struggler, if you will, because uh, that was what made it even more key, is, is sometimes... Uh, when there's this sense of you're in the, in the company of someone that, like, for instance, Paul, I, I mean, in his company, I would say, oh, man, he, he gets it all. He, he does it all right. He's perfect, right? No, not so much. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Let's read it. And verse, we'll start in verse 14. He says this, this is Paul. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. 
For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, what is for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I am doing what is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one who doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, does that sound like, can anybody, does that resonate? Yeah, it resonates big time. Yeah, woohoo, rave our flag, right? He goes on. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. That bridge, if you will, through the flesh, that unsaved part of you. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And that battle goes on within every single Christian. It doesn't, and it doesn't stop this side of heaven until we get that brand new body. It's one of the things we have to look forward to. And I'm not just talking about one that's youthful and resilient. And I'm talking one that's completely saved. Not subject to sin anymore. Totally obedient to God. Totally obedient to God. I'm, isn't isn't that, that That will be a day. That will be, that will be, that will be awesome. That will be awesome. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, let's go there for a moment. Let's see if I can find that. I didn't write down the verse. Let's look at this for a moment here. Um, verse, verse 1, one of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have just settled in here. Verse 25, again, I'll, I'll read what Paul just wrote. And then watch what he says. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now watch. There is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That is fabulous. That is outstanding to know that if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. I'm just going to let some silence rule. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Somebody needs to say amen. It's perfect. It's beautiful. In fact, part of the reason for that is the fact that our citizenship... Now, we think of the United States. If I was going to ask you, most of you in this room probably, uh, more than likely, are citizens of the United States. But when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. You'll find, in fact, that our citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. Now, the word that you'll find in the King James is conversation, but it means to be citizens. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, For our citizenship or our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When that reigning sin is broken... And our Christian freedom, listen carefully, our Christian freedom is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Now, before Jesus Christ, quite honestly, you couldn't have even stopped sinning if you wanted to. You couldn't do it, even though 
we, you're, you're a slave to sin. It's not even seen as that way. Someone that, is, that first comes to Christ or is given that opportunity, you need to be saved. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. One of the things that usually is responded back, well, I, I don't want to give up these things. No, you couldn't give those things up. You couldn't possibly give those things up. But once Jesus Christ takes control, then you have the freedom from sin. From sin. When we think about another thing that freedom is, is the fact that it's not free to injure others. Let's go back to our text in Galatians chapter 5. Not only is it not the freedom to indulge in the flesh, but freedom is not does not mean that we are free to injure others. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty or freedom. Only use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. For an occasion to the flesh. And we find ourselves, in a, again, in a society, in a world. I mean, you, you, you listen to the news and whatever, radio, television, whatever it is, whatever communication you see, it's always about it's just constant warring isn't it it just doesn't end and you sometimes get so tired of it you have to turn it off just to survive right you can't even watch fox news all the time right it's just so ah it is depressing and everybody's out to injure everyone else i mean you know we're iran and it just goes on and on and on and on there's no stopping of it is it freedom is not Which one? Uh, I don't think I gave one Corinthians. How long ago? Just right now? Okay, let me... Uh, we were in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And then I think the next was Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Yep. No, that's Okay. <coughs> If I was going to ask you, what was Christ's supreme mission? Oh, no, let me, let me say something. Let me, let me say it differently. Let me say it differently because you would come up with a different. What was, what was Christ's supreme desire? What was his supreme desire? What was it that Jesus Christ was completely encapsulated? This is what, I mean, at every, almost every moment you could see him, this was his desire. What was it? What, excuse me. Okay, love. Love was really the, yeah, that was the basis of all of that, wasn't it? And, and we, as we think about that, freedom, we're, I'll be talking, just a second, I'll just hold on to that for just a second. Coming back to Jesus' supreme desire, which was based in love, that's correct. For what? For everybody to save, that's true. Whose idea was that? It was God's idea, right? It wasn't any of ours. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that before the foundation of the world, God decided that Jesus Christ would be that one that would give his life for all. Okay? Okay, again, I'm, gonna, I'm making it more difficult than I mean to be, but just slip into Jesus' sandals for a moment. You can't fill them, but just fit, fit into them for just a second. And if you, were, if you were thinking about it, the number one focus and motive and desire of Jesus Christ was to fulfill the will of his Father. Not my will, remember? I'm telling you what, if I'd have been a few hours away from going to a cross and I knew it, I would kind of think, Jesus said, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, I'd be good with that. But, not my will, but thine. I would say, my will is to leave the spot right now and get out of here, right? Let them take care of themselves. Right? Yeah, cut and run. But think of that. 
even Jesus Christ, his number one desire was fulfilling the will of God. As ours should be, that's one of the things of freedom is the ability, the opportunity to fulfill God's will. Not to please ourselves. Let's go to Romans chapter 15 for a moment. Romans chapter 15 and verse 3. Romans 15, 3. Coming to the end of this letter to Romans that Paul had written. Romans chapter 15 and verse 3. It says this just as we just talked about. For even Christ pleased not himself. That's exactly right. It's obvious his 33 years here on earth were not spent to please himself. But let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Paul, again, in his last letter, writing to the one he was mentoring, to Timothy. And he says this. He's describing someone as a soldier. But watch what he says in the sense of who to please. 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. We'll start in verse 3. Thou, therefore, endure hardness, and he's speaking to Timothy, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please, watch now, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Who is that? That's God, right? We are to please that one that literally made us a soldier. That's what he's saying. Freedom is... The ability to do what's right, not what we want. When we think about the fact, uh, the second one I gave you was the fact that we are not free to injure others. In Galatians chapter, I lost it. Galatians chapter 5, let's go back there for a moment. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, we'll read it one more time. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And that's usually what happens when we self takes over, the opportunity to injure others. And it's interesting there, too, as we live in a world that's postmodernism where there is no such thing as truth. In fact, on this front row, we've got five people, and literally there could be five different levels of truth. And what's the key to this? Now, what's the... Uh, the banker analogy. Let's say someone comes in, and Paul is doing the math on his, on his, uh, on his uh, adding machine. And he adds 2,000 and 2,000, and he gets 3,000. Is there a problem? <laughs> You'd have to see that look. You would have to see it. It was awesome. Is that the look you give? Oh. <laughs> okay. So, but you, but you see where I'm going with that? That's a problem, isn't it? Because 2,000 plus 2,000 doesn't equal 3,000. Does it? In fact, his truth... If it's not truth, injures other people. And if you were a carpenter, Lynn, which you are actually, aren't you? But if you had your tape measure and you're making a house for Bob and Bob hires you and your truth says that, let's see, if I have, let's see, five inches and four inches would be ten inches. That'll be good. How about the guy that follows him? How about the sheet rocker? That's a problem. Yes, Tony, the same thing, isn't it? Do you see? There is only one truth. Truth is truth is truth is truth. Without truth, we have nothing. And that's literally the whole basis of this, this part of where we're trapped in this thing today in the sense of, well, just don't hurt anybody. If without truth, you do. You do. There's no way to get away from it. 
Uh, Romans chapter 14, I'm going to leave that to you to read yourselves. But go home today, that's your homework. Romans chapter 14, and it talks about the sense of we have a lot of liberty, we have freedoms, there are things that we're able to do in Christ, but we need to look out for others. And if we're a stumbling block, that's a word that's used in the scriptures you'll find, if we're a stumbling block, then we've done ourselves, not only ourselves a disservice, but we've done a disservice to God and to that other brother or sister. We need to be held in the sense of self-discipline by doing what's the best for others. And that's what he says, actually, in Galatians chapter 5. Let's go back there if you're not. Galatians chapter 5. It says, don't use it an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, the word for love that we have here in the King James is agape, the Greek word agape. That is not self-serving love. That's self-sacrificing love, serving one another. The third one we have is freedom is not the freedom to ignore the law of God. Freedom is not freedom to ignore the law of God. Let's go to Romans for a moment because one of the things that you would say probably is the fact that, well, wait a minute, we're not under the law anymore. Christ fulfilled the law. Do you agree with that? Go ahead. It's not a trick question. You can just say, yeah, that's right. The, the point of the matter is, is what does it mean? Are we under the law? question is no. The scripture is very clear. But the question is, is what does that mean? Now, some would say because we're not under the law, we can do whatever we want to do because we're free in Christ. Now there's head shaking. Well, that, doesn't that mean we're not under the law anymore? Well, that's not right, is it? Let's go to, uh, as I asked, Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. This was just uh, in that same chapter we talked about Paul, but Romans chapter 7 verse 6 is this. But now, are you all there? Romans 7, 6, still here, pages rustling. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Very clear. We're delivered. We're no longer under the law. We're free from the law, if you will. Romans chapter 6 talks a lot about it. In fact, verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Isn't that a beautiful verse? So what does it mean? That's a good question. Well, come back next week and I'll tell <laughs> The beauty of being free in Christ is the fact, yes, that's true. We're not under the law. Because before Jesus Christ, we would have had to been saved by the law, which means we would have had to attain or try to get life or salvation through the law, which is totally impossible. You can't do it. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us we were, we were born into sin. We were sinners because Adam and Eve, and we inherited that sin nature. We don't have a chance. Not one chance. So we can't be saved by the law. And isn't that good news? That's where we're not under the law. The fact, how would, Lynn, how would you like to have to go home today and you'd have to say, you know, the only way I can be saved, Diane, is I'm going to have to obey the law perfectly. What would you say about that? Diane says, not a chance, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I would too. You would too, right? And every one of us that's really honest, we'd have to say that that is absolutely true. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you're not free in him... That's what you're tied to, that bondage. It literally is bondage. It's dragging this heavy pack. It'd be like in the morning, putting on a 200-pound backpack filled with rocks. 
I'm, I'm not going to make anything good in the backpack that you need. I want to make it ugly, right? And you put on 200 pounds of rocks, and you just go through the day. But at the end of the day, what is that called? You are whipped. You're tired. You're bondage on steroids. And that's exactly what it feels like when you are not free in Christ. That's exactly what it feels like. But we are not to be ignoring the law of God. In fact, chapter 7, verse 12 says this, The law, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. You see, the purpose of the law, or the, the, the law itself is not bad. What was the purpose of the law? What was really the purpose of the law? What was the reason that God gave the law? To make us feel bad? To teach us what's right? Okay. To teach us that we couldn't keep it so we could come to Christ. Bingo. Bingo. Right there. You know, that's exactly true. That is exactly the deal. That's why he gave the Old Testament law. By the way, I'm so glad I'm not an Old Testament believer. I would not. In fact, I would have had an ex to have an extra herd of cows just so I could sacrifice them because I'm such a bad person. <laughs> you know, you'd have to have a couple hundred extras, right? It would be terrible. We've got but, to meet every week. You know, I'd be going every day, right? <laughs> Here I am again. The priest would not be by my first. Oh, Larry, what'd you do this time, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be? That would be difficult. It would be very, very difficult to have to do that. But you know what? It, you know what? It really, the message behind all of that, and Galatians actually talks about that. It was our schoolmaster. It was a sense of showing us we couldn't do it by ourselves. And that sacrifice that was given, you know what? It covered just that sacrifice. I'm sorry, just that sin. Even the priest, once a year, he had to have go in for the, for the, the sin of atonement. For the whole nation, he would go into the holiest of holies and sacrifice. And you know what? He had to do that every single year. But when Jesus Christ died, it was done once and once for all. Isn't that perfect? That is so rich. But the law, there's nothing, by the way, again, I want to say this, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. The law is for our good. God's law is for our good. Those Ten Commandments, you're not saved by them, but they're good. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet. Keep the Lord thy God's name. All of those things are good, aren't they? But I would hate it if, I, if that was how I had to be saved because the first time I broke one of those, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For he who offends in one point is guilty of all. I'm saying bummer. Oh, do you see what Jesus accomplished? But we shouldn't ignore the law. But we are free from trying to earn salvation through keeping the law. We're free from that. We're free from the penalty of law. Actually, we talk about, you know, self-control, self-discipline. And if I was to ask you, I won't, I won't do this to make you show your hands or anything, but if I was to ask, how many of you feel that you really got self-control? Usually, not very many people will, and the ones that do, I pray for, and we'll talk later. <laughs> because self-control, there's always another level, isn't there? Man, I can't believe I did that, right? But literally, when you're free in Christ, that self-control really becomes reality through the power that you have by being free in Christ. No longer are you in bondage to being a slave to sin. Freedom is not freedom from doing what's right. It's freedom from the penalty of the law. 
Let's go to uh, chapter 5 of Galatians one more time. Galatians chapter 5. And it's almost a sense of love fulfills the law. And when you are in Jesus Christ, that's reality. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, once, once more it says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, freedom. Only use not freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, agape, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That literally allows the law to be fulfilled in you by love. Love does accomplish a lot of things, doesn't it? Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Let's go there for a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 4. I apologize if you get blisters on your fingers today, but that's okay. The Word of God is wonderful. Verse 4 of chapter 8, it says, The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That law is literally fulfilled in us. Romans chapter 13, go there for me. Romans 13 and verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Do you want to fulfill the law? Then let love be your byword. But where does this energy come from? How do you do this? Is this of your own? Is this, you just got to, you just got to, in the morning you just got to put your willpower kit on and you got to go to bed, you just got to go to town? Where does this power come from? From God, the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul goes on in Galatians and answers the question. He's laid out some pretty heavy things. Let's go back to Galatians. And I'm going to again, once again, read verses 13, 14. And we're going to move to 16. For brethren, you have been called unto freedom. Only needs not freedom for an occasion to the flesh to injure someone else, but by love serve one another. Okay. There's some of those others I really don't love quite as much as others. But it says the law is fulfilled when thou hast shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How easy is that? I've got some neighbors that's not so easy, right? You're all thinking that. I wasn't, but you might have been. <laughs> and look at verse 16. And, and do, 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 you, do you feel, it's almost like, it's a little bit heavy right now. This is how love, this is how it's fulfilled. The law is fulfilled when we love one another and we love our neighbors as ourselves. And, oh, there's that one neighbor, right? But watch, Paul goes on to say... In fact, he says in verse 15, we'll read it, but I want us to focus on 16. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. That's the opposite of loving one another. And then he says this in verse 16. This I say then. I know it's heavy on you people, so listen carefully. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How many of you are walking in the Spirit? What would you, how, how do you walk in the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Savior. At first and foremost. First, yeah, and then... That's your guideline right there. Yeah. And you fill with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It, accepting it, all that. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then it's very clear that actually each and every one of you that have done that, instantaneously within you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. That is such an awesome thing, isn't it? And you have all of Him. The big question is, how much of you does he have? Therein is the sanctification process. One day after one time. Walking in the Spirit. Walk, tell me what the word walk. Let's take the word walk. Let's just take it apart. What does it mean? One minute at a time. One minute at a time. Every day. Every day. I think it's the path that God 
lead you to okay. through the Holy Spirit. So to you be, walk with to be moving in some direction. Okay. But a good direction. <laughs> well, that's good. You guys are working together as a team. I like this, right? That's good. That's good. You can work off of each other. It's very good. We do. So, so in other words, you think about this for a moment. When I, when I, when I get the, the sense of walking, it's activity. It's not sitting and humming or meditating completely. No, no, it's, it's literally living. It is living. It is active engagement of living. And when we live in the Spirit, as Mom just pointed out, the sense of trusting God for every moment is walking in the Spirit. And that's where the strength comes, come, comes from to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. And I continue in my life, particularly in the last year probably, that walking in the Spirit has been even more important because there's been more and more of those times where I don't know what to do next. And I really don't need to know what's going to happen in 10 years because I don't even want to know about that stuff. It would, in fact, how many of you would have liked to have known 10 years ago where you are today? No. There's usually not a person in the world that wants to know that. It's too overwhelming. But there are those middle of the nights when I wake up and the, really the best place for me to be is Thank you, God, that you're God and I'm not. And the other thing is, God, right now, all I need to know is, what do you want me to do next? Just the next step. Light my next step. That's walking in the Spirit. That's the strength that allows you to get to the next level. That's the enjoyment of the freedom that you have in Christ. Now, how do we do that? Uh, There's parts of that. It's not just walking around. Uh, One of the things you need to do is to saturate yourself with the Word of God. Um, we spoke, the Holy Spirit will live in you. Where does, where does the Holy Spirit, what does he use for energy that keeps you moving? It's the Word of God. He will use the Word of God to literally mobilize you. He will keep you moving. The Word of God is putting the guidelines, the, if you will, the parameters of where he wants you to go. The will of God will be described within the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, and have you ever had this happen where you're, where you're just, here's a, here's a decision that you have to make. And it's not necessarily sometimes just good or bad. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's best and better. You see how I said that? Better than best? <laughs> Don't try to work that one out. But at any rate, you know what? What's interesting is, is at that, just at that moment, there will be a Bible verse that will come to you. Or you're in trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. With every temptation, there will be a way to escape it. I, I use that as a guarantee. God, what is it? Right now, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to see? And boom, sometimes that verse will pop into my mind. See, those verses are for your protection. That's how you walk in the Spirit, is saturate yourself with the Word of God. Don't ever, you can't possibly read the Word of God too much. Then you become controlled by the Spirit of God and you're walking in obedience. There are freedom is controlled by three things. Freedom is controlled by three things. We'll be very brief. We need to keep moving. Uh, controlled by three, three things, your freedom. Now, we talked a little bit about just in the freedom in this country, in our nation, and how it's becoming diluted. It's becoming literally abused and becoming offset, even though we still talk about freedom of the press and freedom from this and freedom of this and freedom from that and freedom, 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 freedom. And yet we're abusing it from literally addictions that are just destroying us and tearing away from the very fabric of who we are. The freedom we have in Jesus Christ is controlled by purity of life. The more pure that your life is, 
the more freedom you really harness. The more undiluted you are in the sense of sin. And really, uh, we talk about sanctification. What does that word mean? We've been talking about it for several weeks. Sanctification is set apart. And it's a process. Thank goodness that we aren't supposed to be perfect. Right? You're probably getting close, though, aren't you, Lynn? Um, Not yet. Okay. Diane, is that true? Oh, it's very true. Very true. Very good. <laughs> Sanctification is that day-to-day walk, and literally, it's like moving from sin, sinfulness, to holiness. Really, literally transferring to holiness. And it's moment by moment by moment by moment. Saturating yourself with the Word of God. That freedom is controlled by purity of life. And it causes us to walk in the Spirit. The other one that we would find is the sense of loving others. He spoke of it several times now in Galatians. And thirdly, obeying God's Word. Your freedom is so full and enriching and you have joy and peace in your life when you are obeying the Word of God. When you disobey the Word of God, joy and peace just fly out the window. You can't even, you can't even chase after and find it. It's gone because your freedom has been extinguished. Freedom. We talk a little bit about legalism. How would you describe legalism to me? You know, I didn't even use the board today. How about that? What would you say legalism is? What is it? How does it fit into into life today? Does it have any purpose? All these different genders and marriages, and supposed to give more freedom to those people who do not believe in the Lord. Okay, so we would say legalism would be. What is it? it it's supposed to be trusting and doing what is right to be righteous. Yeah, our, and even I would even let's tear it apart even a little bit further. That's down the right trend for sure, but legalism would be following a set of guidelines, right? And adhering to them very diligently. We don't have that anymore. <laughs> we don't have That's actually pretty true, right? Yeah. And it's amazing. Uh, it, th- think back to the Jews for a moment. They had a, what was called a phylactery, which they had, around their, the, they had around their neck. And inside was, I think, around a thousand different commandments of which men made up. And their righteousness was based upon how well they kept those laws. Do you want to be part of that system? No. No interest. Especially if they keep changing them. Oh, I didn't know about that one, right? You know, that's the one I've used on Highway Patrolman once. I didn't know. And he says, oh, well, just go ahead then. That's not what they say, do they? No. At least that isn't what's worked with me anyway, right? The laws, that the, now God's law doesn't change. Yes, you were going to say something? Well, man-made law is legalism. And, and I would even, no, th- that's right, by the way. Man-made laws and, and trusting in them could certainly be a form of legalism. But I'm going to also say this. If you're using God's law and it's captured by how well you attain God's law, and that's your total focus of how to get rewarded, I'm using that word, or to be saved as a result of that, that is legalism. Because you have no chance, no chance, zero chance. Did I get that? Is that made that clear? I'm going to write one thing on the board. That is a zero chance. Okay. That is a... When well, this is not going good. There we go. 
Zero percent chance of getting saved if you're trusting the law. Even if it's God's law. Even if it's good. Because you can't get there. You can't get there. There's no life in the law. Legalism. And Jesus was, you know, the ones he probably took to task the most? Wasn't the sinners, was it? It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees. It was the ones that really adhered totally to their, their uh, what should I say? Their truth. Their truth. I'm going to say, yeah, that's, that's great. Their truth. And as there's a lot of truth out there, you know, there's, a, there's cults all over the place. Remember Jim Jones? Yes. His cult was based on what he wanted people to believe. Right? So easy to do. That's kind of like believing if you always follow the laws of the traffic, you're never going to be in an accident. <laughs> that, is, that is actually pretty profound because that's absolutely not true yeah but, but do, you, do you see what I'm saying yeah if, if you follow every single by the way I want to I want things very clear that's not me okay? just want to be sure so everyone understands that I have trouble I have a, my right foot has been the last thing of my body to be convicted that baby just goes right okay but the point of the matter is that's actually really good if you followed every single traffic law then that means you're never going to be in an accident. That is truly false. That's the same thing. If you think you're going to heaven because you've kept the law as good as you could, and by the way, there's no way you could do it perfectly. It doesn't, that doesn't get you to heaven. Now, is there anything wrong with the law? No. Is there anything adhering to the law? No, of course not. That's all good for us. God made those laws for our protection. It's good stuff. See, that, that, that bears it exactly in mind. You, you were obeying the law, but someone else wasn't. Right? Thankfully, that Jesus said in John chapter 8, let's go back there for a moment. In John chapter 8, he said that if you continue in my word, if you continue in the word of God, then you are my disciples, my followers indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As you think about what the word describes, it says that all have sinned, all have stand, stand con- condemned before God, for the wages of sin is death. But it also tells us that he who knew no sin, he became sin for us. His sacrifice was on the cross. He bought us or redeemed us from the curse of the law, and all who trust in him by faith, are saved. They are free from the penalty of the law. They are free from the power of sin. Romans chapter 3 tells us that believers are justified by His grace. If I was going to, again, let's talk about that for a moment. Justification. That's a word, a kind of a $10 word sometimes that we don't use it a lot. Justification. What does that word mean? Back here it says, imputing the righteousness of Christ to our account. Okay. Imputing righteousness, Christ's righteousness, to our account. And not only that, it's, it, it's even, it sounds, like, it sounds like we don't have a problem. Uh, we do have a significant problem. And if you were to take our life apart from Christ and you wrote on it, it would be debt-osis. The liability side would be full. And it would say we owe a lot. And when, when that imputation that's to put in our account, 
that's what that word means, is the sense of we are declared righteous. Positionally, we are declared righteous. That is great news. It also means to be paid in full, the sense of redemption. I like those bills that come and they're paid in full. The one I want to be paid in full is the sense of my life before Christ. If I'm depending on myself, it can't ever be paid. With Jesus Christ, paid in full. He paid it in full. He justified us by his grace. That's the truth. And anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ personally, all they need to do is to literally confess their sin, saying, I am a sinner. There's nothing I can do about it. Not a thing. And accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, making him the Lord of their life. And the Holy Spirit moves in. The Word of God becomes something that you can't stay away from. You will want more and more of it. Your freedom will allow you to be all that God wants you to be. Freedom. Freedom that can be yours in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for freedom that can be acquired solely and exclusively through Jesus Christ. The blood that he shed on Calvary's tree is truly amazing. That he did it with just because he loved us. That was agape love, a self-sacrificial love beyond what we can even comprehend. Father, we thank you for you making that from the very beginning. Before anything else was made, that was your desire. Because you knew in advance what would happen. Men would fall away. Sin nature would have its way. And you chose Jesus Christ, God the Son, to pay the perfect price. To take away the sin of the world. To give us true freedom. Freedom, Father... In Christ's eyes, there's the ability to do what's right. It's the opportunity to please you. It's the opportunity to live life in purity. Not perfectly, but purely. Thank you, Father, that you also said that in 1 John chapter 1, that if we're faithful to confess our sins, that you will forgive them. You are a forgiving God. Thank you for all that you've accomplished all that you've done, and thank you for the freedom that we enjoy not only as our, in our nation, and may our leaders turn to you. May they look to you for guidance and direction. May they look to you with humble hearts, knowing that the mess that we have in this nation has been self-induced. May they look to you for guidance, for wisdom, and for strength to do what's right. Father, we thank you as well for our military men and women, those that have been engaged in acquiring and retaining the freedoms that we, which we enjoy, one of which is even to be gathered here to study the Word of God unmolested and unpersecuted. Thank you for all that you've done. Maybe not take it, make it insignificant in any way, shape, or form, but truly receive it as a blessing from you. We thank you for what you're doing now in Christ's name. Amen. Today we have a, a communion service. All of those that have trusted Christ as Savior are certainly welcome to, to participate. It takes us back to the time when Jesus Christ was surrounded the last time with his disciples. The last time that they would be together on this earth and 
as they were gathered in that upper room, it was a time that there was a lot of different things going on. The disciples were vying for who could be the most important because they saw Jesus as the king. They saw him as the one that would would finally relieve them from the Roman oppression. Once and for all, finally, we're going to be free and we're going to, the kingdom age is going to come upon us. And James and John and numerous other ones, Peter, I'm sure, would have been right there hanging in there. Boy, I'll tell you, I'm going to be the greatest in this kingdom. I'm going to be right there beside Jesus Christ. I'm going to be in his cabinet. I'm going to be, they're vying for position, if you will. Not having any idea within a matter of hours that this one they called their master, their rabbi, the one that had taught them and they'd walked with him for three years, would be hanging on a cross. Had no idea. No idea. But Jesus used that night to be a teaching moment. We've talked a lot about that one of the things that freedom allows us to serve one another. One of the career things, or one of the things we could say about Jesus Christ, and it's not something that we pursue as careers, is the fact that he was a foot washer. A foot washer. Think of that. How many of you aspired to be a foot washer? I don't see those credits being, or those, those classes being offered in college. Foot washing 101. But I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus instituted that on that night as they were circled around, he had made the place of honor for the one that would betray him. Judas Iscariot was sitting to the right hand of, his, of him. He was the man of honor for the Savior that night. Jesus giving him every opportunity. And when those guys were vying for position, Jesus went and took a basin of water and began washing their feet. You talk about shut down a proud moment. He got her done, didn't he? He got her done. But our Jesus was also wanting them to know these are moments that they would remember later on. Paul, I'm going to ask that you pass out the bread. And I think it would be well for us to think about, even in the view that we've talked about freedom today, the very essence of our freedom that we have today is because of what Jesus would accomplish and literally very few hours from that time when he had gathered in communing with his disciples for the last time. May we take this opportunity to to literally just investigate, to survey our hearts and, and just giving thanks for what Jesus Christ of the Father's will accomplished on that day. It was truly overwhelming. And as we do that, I'm going to ask that Laramie would play some soft music and let's just spend some time in quietness before our God thanking Him for what Jesus accomplished. Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Let's partake together. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for this time of commemoration of a celebration that you had gathered those disciples around prior to your completing a mission that God the Father had given to Christ. Those three words that were the last three issued on this side of life, where Jesus said, it is finished, he offered his body on a cross to take the penalty of sin, and the power of sin was broken. What a tremendous sacrifice. What a tremendous gift. As those words, it is finished, were uttered, it said he gave up the ghost. And literally, it was not the end. It was the end of the beginning. And because of that accomplishment, we can look forward to being 
with you when we trust Christ for eternity. Thank you for Christ and the giving of his body. In Christ's name, amen. Paul, again, I would ask that you would pass out the cup. And as we contemplate further into that evening, as he has been sharing with those disciples, those ones that he loved, the ones that he had surrounded himself with for those three years, them not knowing the significance. But he said to... It says here that um, in verse 21 of Matthew, you don't need to turn there. It says, as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Thinking of that situation there of which Jesus took upon himself to be so careful to even include that one in that sweet communion, allowing him every opportunity to not be that one that had betrayed him. That's the forgiveness of Jesus. There's not one person that Jesus didn't die for. Not one. When we come to him in faith, when we trust the blood of Jesus Christ to have conquered all of sin, what a blessing. What an opportunity. What a beautiful thing for us to experience. As the disciples would have thought of that meal, if you will, Afterwards, Jesus being in the grave. And then they would have seen him resurrected on a couple of different occasions. Thinking about the powerful time that they had, they had ministered and served with their Lord. What a magnanimous opportunity for them to see how powerful their Savior really was. And he's the same for us today. It's the same Savior. How powerful is that? I'm so thankful for what he did. The power is in the blood. I'm going to ask that you would say a blessing on the cup, please. Our Lord, we've just been studying what the blood that you shed on the cross did for us. No other way. You even asked if there any other way, and no, this was the only way, Father. Lord Jesus, we... It says in the word that he took the cup... He gave thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Think of that as we're even doing this day as we're commemorating this. We're knowing that we can look forward to the time when we'll be doing it with him. Meeting our Savior face to face. 
He's wearing the scars in his hand for saving us, even us. Let's partake together. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we just pause to thank you for the mighty work Christ accomplished. He fulfilled the law in every way, shape, and form. He loved us beyond what we could even imagine. He even did it with joy. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. He endured the cross with joy, knowing that the the compilation, the end result was that we would be saved to be with him for eternity. What a blessing. What a beautiful, awesome thing that was accomplished. Now, Father, we thank you for all that's been done and said. We worship you. We lift your name on high, thanking you for provisions and safety. Take us and use us where you want us to be. These folks within these, these walls, Father, you have a specific journey in life of which they will touch other men and women. May you give them the strength, the protection, and the power to be all that you want them to be. May they learn to walk, to trust in you moment by moment, for therein is the power to accomplish the freedom that you've secured for us in Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.